most Give me your music I'm willing to promote Urban Voices is the name on my show The sound is bouncing through the walls Down the street from door to door Little sip of an R&B Tune in to Urban Voices Voices, Voices Tune in to Urban Voices Voices, Voices In 2010 I was at Freezy Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force. Yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population I'm in which Turner, the Indigenous, and the poor, CR, and the mentally ill are overrepresented. A massive favour. Where isolation, humiliation, and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up. And we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial. Streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. Um, we're going to be having two interviews today. And they're going to be with Ian, who is going to be speaking about refugees and asylum seekers and then we're going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe who is um, a, an Aboriginal um, activist and an MP, Greens MP. I'm just going to go into an announcement. I'm just going to, uh, we've just got a few technical difficulties and we'll be back soon. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. actually get on to speaking with Ian I um, I just wanted to introduce the second topic um, and I'll, I'll get on to that soon a historic gathering of Aboriginal elders has taken place at Victoria's Parliament with the group calling for fundamental changes to be implemented in the state treaties process and we're going to be talking with Lydia Thorpe about that later on um, now I'm going to be speaking now with Ian and about refugee and asylum seekers. Hello Ian, welcome to the program. Well, that's a turn up for the books. Um, I'm gonna actually put a song on now and I'm going to actually put a song on and we're gonna see if we can get Ian back. Yeah. Bye. 
and you're back with the Doing Time show. Hello, Ian. Hi there, how are you doing? Good afternoon. Um, we've just had a few de- technical difficulties. <laughs> That's good. So, That's um, the kind of difficulties we wish on the Turnbull government. Absolutely, absolutely. And this is what happens when there's when there's no no money for new equipment, isn't it? Our Radiothon is coming up. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good plug. It's a good plug. But it's yeah. but it's a good thing that you've said about the Turnbull government. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, now, could you just introduce yourself and tell us um, what your title is and what organisation you're from? No, sure, sure. Yeah, uh, my name's uh, Ian Rintoul. I'm uh, spokesperson for the Refugee Action Coalition in New South Wales, and uh, yeah, like the Refugee Action Collective in you know in Melbourne, we're one of the um, you know active groups that. You know, campaigns against uh, you know offshore you know detention, uh, particularly at the moment against Turnbull and you know and Dutton. But um, we don't discriminate against if it's Liberal or Labor. We we fight to end offshore detention and mandatory detention, and yeah, bring the people who are on Madison Nauru to Australia. Absolutely, and indeed, um, one of the things that we'd like to do today, Ian, is to just talk a little bit about what's happening with asylum seekers and refugees it's been rather quiet in the mainstream media lately hasn't it so can we perhaps get an update about what's been going on yeah well there's also there's so, so much to catch up on but um i suppose the, the main thing really is to do with the, you know offshore detention uh, i think over the last you know week and a half um We've uh, seen really the collapse of the US deal, and the US deal was the thing that uh, the Turnbull government certainly put forward as a way in which you know, refugees on the and Manus Island were you know, going to be resettled. Uh, but what we've seen um, again this year is that there have been no Iranians, no Iraqis, no Somalis, no Sudanese uh, who have actually been accepted to go to the United States. Uh, so what that means in practice is that um, half of the people who have been found as refugees on Nauru and Manus Island uh, are going nowhere. Uh, the, uh, the Dutton has admitted that there is no other third countries after the US. Uh, there's a New Zealand offer of 150, with the, which they're not going to take up at the moment. Uh, but the blanket rejection of the Iranians, Somalis, etc., who are on uh, Nauru and Manus uh, does mean that uh, we already knew that there would be hundreds who have been left left behind, uh, people who have uh, either refused to participate in the process or have uh, been deemed to, to be negative. Uh, so they've been rejected as, as refugees under the processing regime that existed on those two places. But um, the refusal of the, uh, the Trump administration to take uh, you know, those refugees means that there is a very, very big problem on Nauru and Manus Island. So only a few were taken? To America? Uh, well, there's, uh, there's uh, 85 have gone in total uh, from uh, from Manus Island. The US officials are there at the moment, uh, but we're expecting maybe in the order of another 30 uh, to go either this weekend or the weekend after. Um, of the 150 um, uh, appointments that were made on Nauru um, in you know in the last ten days just gone, um, around 80 uh, were rejected. So there's 70 who've been accepted. They're all uh, Afghans, um, Pakistanis, or you know Rohingya uh, refugees. But as I said, it's a, it's very very clear um, that all the Iranians, all the Somalis, and so on are going to be rejected. So around 80 of the 150 uh, who had appointments this time have been have been rejected on Nauru. Rejected? So where are they going to go? 
there's nowhere for them to go, and I think that's the that's the big point. Um, you know, we've been saying for a long time that there's always been a problem with the US deal. Like even in the best circumstances, they were only ever saying there'd be 1,250. Uh, places in in the United States that was already probably between 600 and 800 short of what was necessary. Um, uh, now it looks like um, they may take you know 600, they may take 700 in you know in total. Uh, but the government has nowhere else uh, to put them, um, and uh, so effectively, in spite of all the hoo-ha and the phone calls between Trump and Turnbull and so forth. Um, the Trump administration has has rejected these people for uh, resettlement in in the United States. So um, there isn't anywhere else uh, at the moment. The, the government is simply saying, "Well, you, they're, well, they're trying to say it's not our problem. Um, you know, it's Nauru's problem. It's PNG's problem." Uh, but we know we know different. Uh, but the Australian government has got has got nowhere. Uh, to resettle the people that they found, and I, you know, think want to make that point quite strongly. These are people who have been found to be refugees under the Australian government's own processes. Um, after almost five years now, they've still got nowhere to uh, put uh, more than half the people who are on Nauru and Manus Island. And of course, conditions on Nauru and Manus Island are pretty horrific, aren't they? They're pretty bad. Yes, they just they they deteriorate. I mean, what the latest round of rejections has you know it's caused, created another wave of despair because I said you know half the people who are on the route now know that they're going nowhere. Even the people who they sat in hope at least you know that when the U.S. officials came back there was a chance that they would go to the United States. Many uh, Iranians, many Somalis don't didn't even bother going to the appointments this time because they knew they were going to be rejected. So there is another wave of despair. There have been there have been two attempted suicides by Iranians uh, since the uh, they were all rejected by the U.S. officials um, last week on you know Manus Island. We've got all the same conditions uh, you know con- continue. They've actually withdrawn uh, some health services that that had been there uh, so IHMS has now gone off um, Manus Island uh, the um, private uh, the international um, private international hotel uh, hotel private international hospital um, has now got uh, charge of the medical services but yeah. there are there are no mental health services yeah, at all on you know on Manus Island now and the and the medical services that were there are, are considerably reduced. Can you comment on the shroud of secrecy surrounding the the people that are that are coming on the boats? I'm noticing that there really isn't all that much coverage. I mean, it used to be, you know, in in the era of the Labor government, for example, that there was always an announcement on TV when more boats were coming in. Well, I mean, since Abbott was elected, uh, the um, the coalition government has had the attitude that you know there was complete secrecy surrounded on water matters, and uh, you know the whole arrangement with the uh, Operation Sovereign Borders was to create that uh, surround the oper- the on water matters, uh, you know, with secrecy. So there are no announcements of interceptions, no announcements of you know of turnbacks, um, which meant there could be you know scrutiny of what the government was doing. So it's only every now and again. And um, that sometimes in Senate estimates, for example, there are questions which the government will take on notice or are willing to answer about the number of boats 
that have arrived since 2000, not, not arrived, that have, have attempted to get to Australia. Um, there's only a couple that have actually made, you know, kind of landfall um, in the whole time since 2007. But the, there's, we're still talking about about 30 boats in that time have that we know of, uh, or that the government's admitted to, um, have been intercepted, uh, say, attempting to come from Indonesia uh, to Australia. Occasionally, there's a big hoo-ha. You know, you, you, there's a lot of hoo-ha made about that. The boat that was in uh, Malaysia that 130 uh, Sri Lankans uh, on it. Um, the government made a big deal, you know, about that and the, the threat of people smugglers. Most of that is just designed for domestic political consumption or to try and put more uh, political pressure on, you know, the New Zealand government, actually, even though the boat was intercepted in Malaysia, a long way away from New Zealand. Uh, Peter Dutton was, you know, spruiking on the news about, you know, this is what happens, you know, New Zealand's offered 150 places and now people smugglers are trying to get to New Zealand, but there's really no indication whatsoever, no evidence at all that, you know, the boat was going to get from Malaysia to New Zealand. What is particularly galling about this whole situation, Ian, is that when New Zealand offered to assist the Australian government, even though the Australian government is paying for all this offshore processing, so-called processing, when New Zealand tried to take some refugee and asylum seekers, it was refused because Dutton said there was a back door into Australia, yeah? Yeah, yeah, no, no. They've, they've, They've... You know, consistently um, said no to the to the New Zealand offer, um, and I think it's something that then does need to be revisited. In spite of the fact that you know, like our argument and the refugee movement, you know, as a whole argues that Nauru and Manus Island should be evacuated, that they should be brought to um, Australia as a as a matter of urgency, and then any resettlement arrangements um, can be done, you know, after that. But the fact that we now know that these people are not going to be accepted by the United States um, for the the government to say where no one can go uh, to to New Zealand in the circumstances is is just you know sheer you know bloody mindedness. I mean it's the kind of bloody mindedness that we've expected from from Dutton. Um, but it's they they have got nowhere else. Dutton's admitted they've got nowhere else. Uh, New Zealand is still saying we'll take 150. Um, that it could be done very very easily. Absolutely. And the way forward now. What do you think the way forward could be now? How can we help? Well, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be a lot of focus on the uh, Labor Party uh, national conference in, at the end of July. Uh, there's a lot of discussion happening inside the Labor Party. There are still people who are very favourable uh, to refugees inside the Labor Party who will be putting forward changes in the Labor Party at uh, the Labor Party conference. So I don't think we can have any illusions uh, about what's going to happen at the conference. It's fairly clear that Shorten will have the numbers and Labor Party policy will continue to um, maintain, you know, offshore detention. But I think we can take advantage of that, uh, that it's certainly going to be hotly debated at the conference. Uh, the government is going to make a lot of, you know, hoo-ha about, you know, Labor softening its position on asylum seekers um, in Sydney, Melbourne and um, you know, other places. Uh, there's demonstrations that have been called, protests have been called on the uh, 21st of July, which is just uh, prior to the week before the Labor Party conference, but it's also marks the fifth anniversary of you know offshore detention when the Labor Party itself uh, restarted uh, detention on Nauru and Manus Island 
um, in, you know, so five, you know, five years ago, in July 2000 and 2013. So um, there's still pre- plenty, I think, of uh, scope for uh, protesting um, about ending offshore detention uh, to demand that people be brought from, you know, from Manus and Nauru, you know, to Australia. And um, yeah, the 21st is going to be uh, the um, demonstrations on the uh, the 21st of July will be you know the, a, a really good opportunity um, for if, you know, people can take that. In the meantime, people I think should be um, you know on the phone if they can get messages to you know to Dutton and you know, to Turnbull, but also to you know the Labor Party uh, Labor, local Labor Party members to pressure them uh, to shift their policy on turnbucks and offshore detention. Absolutely, and there are no details as yet. It's a national day of action, is it, around Australia? Um, it's turning into a national day of action. It's not been declared as a national day of action yet, but uh, since the, you know, Sydney and Melbourne have adopted the 21st, some other cities are now you know, coming on board. So people can just you know, check out the, you know, the RAC website in Victoria yeah. and uh, New South Wales for you know, updates about that. But I'm quite sure there's, be, there's a, you know, a lot uh, will be happening, I think, as we get closer to the, you know, the Labor Party conference, because I think people are going to take the opportunity. I've said no illusions about what Labor is going to do. But I think it has to be very clear to the Labor Party that the refugee movement is going to continue to, to demand that people be brought uh, to Australia because of what their their policy uh, says. And particularly, <laughs> their policy hasn't changed. We'll continue to fight the Labor Party like we fought the coalition uh, to make sure everybody uh, that was dumped on the ruin manners, you know, by Labor Party policy in 2013 is actually brought to safety. Yeah, unfortunately, that was quite a crisis there with, with Rudd bringing that in towards the end of the, the Labor Party. Yeah, it's criminal, really, and that's uh, that's the thing. And there's people who um, who are in the shadow cabinet at the moment. I mean, Richard Miles was left in Papua New Guinea by you know Kevin Rudd to negotiate a memorandum of understanding, which restarted the horrific you know detention. What we've what we've seen at Manus Island, you know, since, since uh, 2013. So uh, as I said, we can't be under any illusions how much of a campaign we're going to have to you know continue uh, to. Um, raise the the, the, the the public awareness but also the, to, to get the political pressure to um, we're not going to be able to rely on a labor government to yeah you end offshore detention they've said some things you know for example they have said that we'll send 150 that they will send 150 uh, to New Zealand uh, but we're not about to wait for the, the next you know labor you know labor the next federal election before we you know take the fight to the coalition oh, no, we and, can't. and to the labor party we can't yeah. wait until the, the the election it's not possible and 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 in fact sorry go on no, 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 I was just, yeah. that's right. Yeah. I was just going to say, Ian, um, that to be fair, you know, at that time the Labor government didn't really have a lot of power, unfortunately. It was a hung parliament back then. It was, what a mess. But anyway, look, it's a global crisis and indeed it's definitely violations of human rights. Bring them home, as you say. And yep, exactly. the UN, I mean, the UN needs to do more things. They, they do need to do more things. <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. I mean, that's why we can't afford, I think, to say, well, why doesn't the UN act? I think it's, it's beholden on 
you know, all the countries where there are refugee issues and there's not a place on the globe now, I think, where there is not a refugee uh, issue. Um, but uh, there obviously needs to be stronger words from the United Nations. Absolutely. I mean, it's ridiculous that Australia's got a position on the uh, the Human Rights Commission at the United Nations and we're compared to look at what it does to refugees and to Aboriginal people, it's just a complete nonsense. But it makes it so imperative that we keep up the fight you know, in Australia against our own government. Against our own government and indeed, speaking of which, um, you mentioned Aboriginal people. We're going to be speaking with Lydia Thorpe shortly about the, the process of, of treaties um, happening in Victoria in particular. So mm, okay, okay. Well, hope there's some hope there's some progress that Lydia can report on. I hope so, Ian. Thank you so much for coming onto the program and giving us a great update. And um, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again. Yeah, I okay. came happy to happy to be happy for you to have me. Thanks very much. Thanks for your time. Bye bye. Take yeah, care. Bye bye. Bye bye. And that was Ian from the Refugee um, Coalition, um, speaking about the horrific, and I mean horrific conditions. Uh, that refugee and asylum seekers are suffering at the moment and what we can do in terms of the government um, lifting its game. It's 4.23 and before I go into a song, just wanted to back announce the previous song, No Fixed Address, um, by the group No Fixed Address, We Have Survived. And going into another song now, pretty soon, called Nil Nil Girl and it was... um, performed by a bunch of musicians, Archie Roach, Paul Kelly, and I believe Shane Howard, and that's a beautiful song. And then we'll speak to Lydia. But before we do that, very quickly, I wanted to say that Radiothon is coming up at 3CR, and we're going to need your help to keep our shows on air for another year. And indeed, the Do and Time show has a target of $850 to meet, and donations are already starting, hope, hopefully, hopefully already starting to come in for all shows. Um, but please do um, think about preparing to donate. The donations are tax deductible. Our Radiothon show is on the 11th of June and that's when we read out on air uh, who, who has donated. So I just thought I'd let people know just so that they can, they can actually um, start donating if they can. And if you donate before the 30th of June, you can claim it on tax. So that's $2 and up. So see what you can do. It's approximately 4.24 and um, I'll be putting on this song now. Hello, Lydia. Welcome to the program. Hello there. Thank you. Thank you. you Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, Lydia, it's great to have you. And in fact, first of all, before we do anything, I just wondered if you could just give us a very brief introduction on what land you're from and um, and just a little bit about your title. Sure. Um, so I'm a Gunai Gunachamara woman uh, living and working on Wurundjeri land and I'm the state member for Northgate. Fantastic. And in fact, I've been reading um, a lot of, well, not a lot, but quite a bit of stuff on Knit TV and other sources, but Knit TV was the best coverage, I reckon. And looking at the the situation with the treaties, and in particular with one in Victoria, and I believe that there's been some parliamentary um, parliamentary gatherings happening here. Yeah? That's right. Um, so 
So I supported the Victorian traditional owner land justice group in holding a elders gathering at Parliament last Monday, uh, and that was basically a result of um, the the treaty bill being um, tabled in, in Parliament, and you know it's up to its second reading, and the fact that um, when the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs held a meeting in February 2016 um, where the treaty mandate came from. She was also requested to set up an Elders' Council and over two years um, of requests still hadn't um, allowed that process to occur. So we we did it ourselves um, and basically... Um, the, the Victorian Traditional and Land Justice Group set up a fundraiser to actually pay for elders accommodation and travel to, to get to the meeting. Wonderful. As well as a couple of organisations actually um, uh, put some money into that. But it wasn't supported by the government. Um, and we thought that um, based on feedback and um, based on, you know, traditions that have been happening for thousands of years in this country that elders needed to have a say on a treaty process that's happening in Victoria right now. And indeed they certainly, elders certainly have not been resourced properly have they to actually participate in the dialogues with the government in the first place? No they haven't, they, they, they never have um, you know, and, and we have a Koori Youth Council that's very well funded, which is fantastic, and they do some amazing work. Um, and we have a number of organisations who equally do some great work, but uh, there's never been any emphasis or support for our old people. And I think that that is, you know, it's crucial, particularly in a time where um, we're talking about treaty. Um, there's a lot of our old people in communities that you know, have worked tirelessly throughout their lives in Aboriginal um, affairs and, and, you know, fighting for justice. And they've been sidelined um, at one of the most crucial times that this um, state of Victoria is talking about, and that's treaty. That's great. So the last Monday's meeting, where was that held, Lydia? It was held at Parliament House, um, and it was attended by... Oh, around 50 elders, I would say. I mean, it was a mixed group and, um, you know, not all elders could make it on the day for various reasons. We had one elder who actually took took ill um, the night before in the hotel room. So, um, you know, it, it's been quite a, um, a long process and a bit of a stressful one for people to be able to participate. But the... Um, you know, the message was very loud and clear from the elders and that is that they want to participate in this process and that they should be, um, they should have the authority um, to be able to make decisions on, on things that affect them, such as treaties. And, you know, um, it wasn't represented by all clans or nations, um, but at least it's, it's a message to say... Um, that we want all clans and nations to be um, part of this process and that, that that invitation is still open. Actually, I saw a great quote from Carolyn, Arnie Carolyn Briggs, who mm -hmm. spoke on the on behalf of the Clan Elders Council 
on treaty and saying that the government's treaty process was flawed. Yeah, well, you know, one of the meetings that I attended uh, personally, the consultation in Shepparton particularly, where I um, met with an elder who lives on the riverbank um, on Yorta Yorta country. We had dinner the night before the treaty consultation and she had no idea that it was even happening. She had no way to get to the meeting and it was too late in the day for her to arrange things because I'd only alerted her to the fact the night before. So, you know, when when elders don't feel that they're part of this, then, you know, they, they feel disenfranchised and they feel that, you know, um, proper respect hasn't, you know, hasn't occurred and it's hurtful. So, you know, it brings up a lot of emotions and frustration um, when... We're not adhering to age-old um, law that's, you know, that's been on this country for thousands of years. That, you know, it's been pushed aside and um, elected, or you know, self self-elected um, people are, are deciding for us. Can you describe to us what's going to happen with this with the process? We've actually got a lot of new listeners on our show and I'm wondering if you could just talk about what's going to happen um, and talk about clan-based treaties um, and I know that, that you mentioned at some stage um, uh, on TV that there are agreements which acknowledge the roughly 100 clans throughout the state and that includes their languages and cultures and that sovereignty was never ceded. Could you yeah. talk about that a little bit more and also then describe the process um, that's going to happen in Parliament? around that sure so i think what what's important is we we need to understand what a clan is and a clan is basically a family clan um who's you know who is sovereign to this country in this particular instance and clans make up nations and have a language group so it's not discounting nations it's not discounting language groups it's just ensuring that every family has a say in this process. That is in line with the Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People. It's in line with, you know, um, our, our basic human rights, that our, and it's also in line with self-determination. So it's important that clans have a voice, and, and that may be different in different areas where nations of clans have, are well-established and well-organised. So it, it should be up to the clans to say, this nation is going to represent us. All of our family clans are actually activated within this nation and they're going to represent us. If that's the case, well, then that's their self-determining right. But there are clans that aren't part of nations and that you know they should not their voices should not be discounted through this process because they've also not ceded their sovereignty and that and that they should be um, free to speak. Um, that that's a bone of contention at the moment in community. I think um, that's something that needs to be talked about a whole lot more. Um, and if I use my own native title group or my own nation group. Um, as an example, in, in Gunai, Kurnai country, there are five clans that make up Gunai, Kurnai, and I belong 
to two of those clans, the Brayakalung and the Brabulung. So until those family groups have a conversation that gives permission for the bigger nation to represent, then you know, then then our process becomes a bit flawed also. So in terms of where to from here, um, it was to be debated this week. We've just heard from the government that um, they're putting it off for another week, so it won't be heard this week. Um, and that, that's um, 3CR. I've got first notice of that. Um, now, I've asked or I've sought permission from the government um, twice now to be able to debate this bill in the lower house. Um, this process that I need to go through to be able to debate it. Otherwise, it will go to the upper house and I won't have an opportunity to debate it. So I need the government's permission to even debate the bill. And, you know, I'd like to debate it, given I'm the only black fellow in the house at the moment. So um, I think it would be fitting that I debate the treaty bill. Um, But we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, We've we've come up with a, a series of amendments the Greens, that is, and those amendments have been informed by um, elders. They've been informed by... Um, we've had... Uh, we've put it through the Victorian Traditional Land Justice Group and I've also put it through um, a few um, Aboriginal black lawyers that um, I've worked with and have um, the utmost respect for uh, from around the country. And one in particular who's a barrister, is um, Tony McAvoy. So they've looked at the bill and they've all provided their advice on amendments. And so the Greens amendments are based on that feedback. Um, So is that bill open for discussion or is is that confidential at the moment? No, it's on on the website. It's on the parliamentary website. What's it called, Um, this bill? It's called the um, Advancing the Treaty Process with Aboriginal Victorians Bill 2018. So that's a new bill that's just been created? Yes. That is so awesome. Into Parliament. It is. It is. It's great. And, um, you know, we we, um, think that it's good that the government have introduced the bill. Um, It'll be even better if... Um, we can negotiate some of the the amendments that will only strengthen the bill and ensure that, you know, grassroots people have a say here and that they're not, um, you know, they don't... um, That they're not cut out and that other people appointed and self-appointed and ministerial appointed aren't speaking for them and, um, yeah. So this bill is in effect, going to start off the process of, of having treaties. Is that right? It, the bill itself is to set up a representative body that right. will set up the framework for treaty. Right. So whilst it's not dealing directly with the treaty itself, it's dealing with the rep body that will be de- dealing directly with the treaty framework. Oh, I so see. it's just as important. Absolutely. Um, if we don't get the rep body right then we're setting ourselves up for failure, I believe. And if we don't ensure that traditional owners or clans or nations um, 
that if they're not on that rep body solely, then you know, then what are we talking about? What kind of yeah. you know, what kind of rep body are we really setting up here? And one of the main um, amendments of of the Greens is that the word Aboriginal Victorians should be um, you know removed and and replaced with sovereign clans and nations because if we talk about Aboriginal Victorians then that's anybody who lives in Victoria who happens to be Aboriginal so mm. that that's you know that's over 50,000 black followers in the state and um, we believe that it should be the sovereign people of what is now Victoria that should only be on the rep body um, and we're also asking um, the government to amend uh, one of our other amendments is about sovereignty. Um, there's a line in the in the preamble of the bill which um, talks about um, it actually says Victorian traditional owners maintain that their sovereignty has never been ceded. Okay. And we'd like that to be changed to the state of Victoria recognises that the clans and nations have never ceded their sovereignty over the land now known as Victoria. And That's also better. That, and also that the state of Victoria dismisses the historical claim of terra nullius upon which colonisation of this land proceeded without a treaty. The state of Victoria recognises that. Yeah. So that's um, yeah, that's one of our. I suppose um, we're getting some, you know, pushback on that particular amendment, and it's a question of sovereignty and whether the government will acknowledge um, sovereignty of of our first people, or or just have a you know sideline that says that um, we maintain that we have our own sovereignty. It doesn't, you know. Yeah, it it's amazing. The government any responsibility. That's right, because that's what it sounds like, that these amendments have to be introduced in order not just to recognise clans, but also to recognise sovereignty as well. Mm-hmm. That's right. When was this bill made? Uh, March. It was introduced into Parliament. So there was, you might recall, a, a bit of a ceremony... Uh, in March, where they had members of the, the treaty working group oh, yes. come onto the onto the floor of Parliament, um, and they, yeah, they that's where they introduced the bill. Although not everybody was included in that process. Well, the Wurundjeri weren't included in that, so that was, um, I think, you know, a oversight of the government. To not include the actual traditional owners. Of, that's appalling. Um, land the actual really. ceremony was on, but that's <laughs> um, something that you know them followers are taking up. Um, but you know we are where we are now, and I'm trying to work with the government to strengthen this treaty legislation so that it, it is done right or the best possible way that we can get it. Um, and yeah, I'll be meeting with them this week to go through the amendment and hopefully negotiate an outcome that we can all be happy with. 
I hope so. I, I, I really hope so. And I'm hoping that this is going to be a step in the right direction. Mm. Um, I never thought that it would happen, to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I look, I did. I, I think that we've, you know, it's not just Aboriginal people calling for this. This is a movement now uh, right across this country. And I think that Victoria could lead the way if it's done correctly Probably, and respectfully. Yeah. And that does, you know, it does recognise law that's been here for, for thousands of years. And part of that law is our old people. So I think, you know, one of our amendments also is that um, currently only the um, Treaty Commissioner can recommend the representative body model to the Minister. And our amendment is to include the Elders' Council that will, that will decide with the Treaty Commissioner Good. on the recommendation that goes to the Minister. And the minister, as in which minister is that? Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Natalie Hutchins. Okay, so that's federal? State. State. This is a okay. state treaty. This is a state um, treaty, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. No, because it's always good to clarify these things. So, yes, okay, so it because <laughs> so it's all it's it it's hope we're hoping to extend you know, they're hoping to extend to other areas in Australia, but at this stage, it'll be state government, and you're hoping to debate that in the lower house. That's correct. And yeah. then, so, yeah, go on. Yeah, so uh, it won't be this week. Um, the government have indicated that they won't be um, putting it on the on the agenda for this week. So it may be the following week. We sit for two weeks uh, for the next two weeks. Um, so yeah, it, it's really when the government decides to to table it. Okay. Well, it's approximately four forty-eight. And you're listening to the Doin' Time Show, and we're in conversation here with Lydia Thorpe from the Greens, and um, speaking about treaty process as an Aboriginal woman. Lydia, do you have any final comments? Are there any other things that you want to say? I mean, how how can how can we all unite to make this happen? Um, I think you know. I think the. The Greens amendments, as I said, have come from very reliable, uh, respected Aboriginal lawyers um, and that, you know, the, the, the notion of sovereignty really needs to be understood. So I think having those conversations amongst, you know, the groups that you're a part of um, is really important and understanding and, and acknowledge that. You know, Aboriginal people in this country have never ceded sovereignty. And that if we're going to talk about a treaty, then we need to recognise the fact that we haven't ceded sovereignty. And um, I think the more organisations that come out with that statement, the better off we're going to be, the more understanding that people are going to have. Um, if you want to, you know, I've got a um, my... Uh, Facebook page, Lydia Thorpe's Facebook page um, will provide updates on, on the treaty process. Um, we've also got a, um, a petition for a clan-based approach uh, on, my, um, on my website. So feel free to go into that. Um, but I think, you know, just 
start having the conversations yourselves. It's not just about um, Aboriginal people talking on about treaty. This is a treaty is for everybody in this country, yeah. and I believe that it's a way that we can come together and that we can heal, and we can have some truth telling on what's occurred in this country, and we can start, you know, owning that truth to be able to move forward. Yeah, and it, there's not time to talk about that, but once all of this is debated and the hopefully the amendments will, will go through, perhaps we can talk then about what would you know what would constitute a treaty. But I think it's pretty early days yet, isn't it? We need to you know go yeah. step by step. Yeah, we do have a, a an amendment on truth telling, yep. so we're we're asking that up front. Good, um, because it does have to be part of a treaty. We Absolutely. can't just, um, you know smooth everything over. And, and not have a real agreement. We've got to we've got to have some truth telling as part of it. I just can't stand it when people say, "Oh, but that's the past." You know, people people are living in the past. The past is connected to current and future, and we we need to heal the past. Yep, that's right. And you know, as I say, I think this country's got a mental health problem, and the only way to to start working on you know a mental health issue is to actually acknowledge that you have one knowledge that there's a problem and um, then, then the healing. That's, I mean, yeah. I was just talking to Auntie Nolly, Auntie Nolene from Moree the other week here on the oh, Doing yeah. Time show and she was talking about how she's doing a project in Moree to um, identify a lot of the Aboriginal people that have died, that have passed away mm. and to yeah. because they weren't, they weren't recognised in the cemetery and mm. she's getting a, a, a project to integrate all that. And she, Excellent. yeah, it was pretty amazing. And it's so important to interview the old people. And Absolutely. It's urgent. I feel like it's an urgent Absolutely. issue. We, yeah. have, we have the same problem at Lake Tyres, unmarked graves. And, you know, it's just, um, and I'm sure that, that, you know, on all of our old missions where, um, and across this country, you know, we're living on unmarked graves. So it's, so important as part of um, our healing to, to acknowledge that and and remember that. Um, and just on that, I, I didn't finish. Yep. Just going back to your question earlier, there are th over three hundred clans that once roamed this this country, the state of Victoria, and we've got just over a hundred left. So uh, they need to be recognised and acknowledged. Yes. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Even those the one, even the ones that have been wiped off the face of the earth. So the ones that are left should have the the right, the self determining right, to participate in the in the treaty process going forward. Oh, it has to happen because you know this probably sounds really full on, but I have to say this on air: the spirits will be watching. the The elders past well, will be watching. They're watching, all right. Of course, they're watching. <laughs> yep. So that's who I think about. I don't, I don't worry about the living. No, me either. That's the old, <laughs> the ancestors that um, you know keep me honest and keep me going. We ha we have to honour those ancestors that that have died with all the hard work that they've done and 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 the work that the, how they've all been shoved from pillar to post and you know rationed out with sugar and flour and people getting you know what I'm saying? Like yep. it's. Uh, I could go That's on all right. night. Anyway, 
<laughs> oh, I have to run. Me too. We've well. got six minutes left. Um, just very quickly, Sorry Day is on Saturday, the 26th of May, and I'm sure there's a lot of events. There's something down at Atherton Gardens, Aboriginal there's musicians. There's a lot of events, and it's frust- you know, that's another frustrating um, you know, time um, for our people each year is, you know, it's all these events, but there's no movement um, around reparations and... You know, there's still children being taken away every day. So um, that's just another conversation for another day. That's exactly right, Lydia. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Lydia Thorpe. And she, um, we had an amazing, a great conversation about treaty and about a bill that's hopefully will be debated in Parliament in the lower house, first of all and it's state government. So check out the parliamentary website, have a look at the bill. I'm certainly going to, and it's approximately 4.55, and we've got about a couple of minutes before we're out of here. And coming up after this, we've got Beyond Zero. Just a reminder, I know I've already spoken about it, but just very quickly, just to tell you about Radiothon, um, please have a look at preparing to donate for all shows at 3CR. The Do and Time show has a target of eight hundred and fifty dollars, and we're really needing um, we're really needing to keep on air for another year, and yeah, so see if, if if that can happen. It's tax deductible, so yeah, pretty soon we're going to be going out with our theme song "Black Fella White Fella" by the Rumpy Band. Thank you to our guests today. Thank you to Ian um, for coming onto the show, and also thank you to Lydia as as well and our show is podcast so if you've missed half of it or you know you just came in at the tail end or even you know indeed if you've missed it all together you can actually go on the 3cr website and um, access the podcast it's approximately 4:56, and we're going to be out of here pretty soon and tune in um, every monday from four to five for the doing time show and yeah, definitely we're going to be having um, Lydia back on and I hope to interview other Aboriginal people and elders um, about treaty and we're certainly going to be watching this space um, to, to talk about that. And in, indeed, with this climate of fear that's ge- being generated by a lot of right-wing politics that has been creeping into our society and into our parliament, it's, um, it's even more important, isn't it, to provide cutting-edge alternative media, um, not just about Aboriginal issues, but about, about giving everybody a voice. And that's why we need people to donate for Radiothon that's coming up. It starts on the 4th of June and it goes for two weeks. Uh, don't have the end date, but um, yeah, it goes for about two weeks. Okay, well, uh, take care and see you, see you next week. And we're going to go out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. Goodbye from Marissa and stay safe.